Does your dog do? Well, we've got the wonderful Kelly Conaboy. I am over the moon for her book, The Particulars of Peter Dance Lessons, DNA Tests, and Other Excuses to Hang Out with My Perfect Boy. Kelly, tell us something about Peter. Oh, well, my favorite thing Peter does that I am very curious if other dogs do is when he needs me and I'm not, you know, if I'm on my computer, I'm not paying attention to him, something. He'll come over, jump up on the couch next to me and just gently tap my arm with his oh. paw. Like, um, hello, like, hello, I, I would like a second dinner. Or he'll just, <laughs> he'll just lay. And if I'm not paying attention to that, he'll just lay his paw on my arm and just give me like a death stare. Like, hello, <laughs> hello, I'm starving. I've only been fed twice today so far. It's my favorite thing. He is absolutely adorable. The book is phenomenal. And you are such a good writer. You are hilarious. You are a writer whose career includes stints at New York Magazine, The Hairpin, and Gawker. You've been published by The Atlantic, The New Yorker, and The New York Times. You and your dog, Peter, live in Brooklyn. Kelly, I'm going to ask you the first question I ask every guest, which is, when did your love of dogs begin? I always loved dogs. We had dogs growing up in my family. But since adopting my own dog, I felt it, you know, intensify like tenfold, because I, I really feel like Peter is like my soulmate. <laughs> um, and that has sort of blossomed into like, a love of dogs, dog culture, rescues, you know, everything. Um, that wasn't there before Peter. But, you know, my I, I always loved dogs, but now I just am sort of obsessed. <laughs> Absolutely. So am I. And I always say that Blue is my dog soulmate because my husband's like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm like, you're my soulmate. He goes, yeah, I think it's Blue. He's like an appendage. He's always on you. I just love the book. Okay. So first of all, I love in chapter one and just heads up, I'm going to be reading a lot of quotes. It's so funny, right? <laughs> what did I do before Peter? I'm trying to remember. I have to imagine there were things. I did computer, I guess, typed, sat alone, shuffled around the apartment in stocking feet, made dinner and ate it while doing what? Looking at the wall? And who did I feed a noodle to? No one? It's almost too gruesome to recall. Have you always had a knack for humor? Yeah, um, that sort of was my way into writing, I think, because that, that's the sort of writing that I loved. Um and that's the sort of writing that came naturally to, to me, like in school, you know, to make writing or to make schoolwork sort of interesting for myself, I would try to like, entertain myself while I was writing with, you know, little jokes, or, you know, whatever. And and then only later in my life did I realize maybe that could be a career. But yeah, it was sort of always something that I did mainly to entertain myself. And I'm still mostly doing it to entertain myself. But Oh, you're entertaining others. Let me tell you, Kelly, I, <laughs> I found the book so incredibly funny and moving and heartfelt. And it is interesting, isn't it to think what what did you do before you got the dog? So you decided to foster. And it was tricky because it was a foster where they tell you you can't adopt. And you went in anyway, but tell us a little bit, but not too much. I want people to get the book, just a little <laughs> bit about this story and how you got Peter. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I had dogs growing up, but I'd never had a dog of my own as like an adult. Um, and I was missing that sort of connection. So, but I, you know, I wasn't really sure that I could commit, you know, I had a small apartment, whatever. Um, so I fostered and I, you know, they, they, 
give this whole spiel like, you know, you're going to fall in love with the dog, but just, you know, stay aware that you're just signing up as a foster. We need your home to foster other dogs so we could rescue more dogs, you know, totally. I get it. I was like, yep, no problem. And then basically within one day of having Peter, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> no, this is my dog. Like, I, I need to adopt this dog. This is, you know, so, uh, yeah, it was sort of a process to get them to um, let me adopt him. But, you know, obviously, ultimately, they did. <laughs> Thank, Thank goodness. <laughs> In chapter two. What does my dog's DNA say about him? I love this description. You write, when he walks down the stairs at his moderately paced gentleman's trot, you can tell he is a bit bow-legged. He has a heart of an angel and the soul of a poet. And there's a hint of sadness that makes you want to protect him against all the world's harshness. He has whiskers that are so prominent, they make you second guess whether whiskers are a typical dog trait or whether he could potentially be part mouse. And I love the story of how you decided to get the DNA check because it was a guy at a dog park being like, oh, your dog is a blah, blah, blah. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, I don't think so. You know, your dog is a blah, blah, blah. Although I have to be honest, when I saw your dog, I immediately thought pity because of the bow-legged and because right. kitties are yeah. known to be incredibly affectionate and they want mm-hmm. to be with their person and on their person. And I was really surprised about some of the others. And I don't want to give it away. I want I, if you'd like to share some of it, but if they want the percentages, they got to get the book. That's <laughs> the deal, Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Well, getting it. I mean, I sort of had. I, I thought maybe he was like a terrier mix because he has this like tiny little head, these cute little ears. I mean, he's a million different things, but the prominent ones are black lab and Chihuahua, and the Chihuahua was really illuminating because now. I mean, I look at him and it's like, oh, obviously you have this tiny little chihuahua head (laughs) on this, like, (laughs) this, you know, kind of larger body. That was very illuminating. I kind of don't even remember what the other percentages are. And and (laughs) honestly, who knows, like, how accurate these DNA tests are. But yeah, it was it was super illuminating to find out. Labrador Retriever, Chihuahua, Golden Retriever, Dachshund, Rat Terrier, Miniature Schnauzer, American Staffordshire Terrier, which can also be a pity, and Super Mutt. And then again, you got to get the book uh, to get the exacts. (laughs) Now, in Chapter 3, is my dog uh, a festival type? So I used to have restraints in the car for my dogs, and then they grew out of them, and then I just stopped. And then when I read in your book about what can happen if your dog is loose in the back of your car, in the front of your car, it's pretty horrendous. So tell us about this. Oh, (laughs) yeah. My this extremely gruesome story of my mom's dentist about how he, but basically he got in a car accident. His dog was in the back seat. He ended up passing away because of the the force of the dog hitting him when he you know got into this accident. But for my dog, I have um, he wears like a little harness in the car, and and he's hooked up in the back of the harness to a leash that's attached to the car seat headrest. I I was taking this long car trip with him and I'm already so like neurotic and anxious about him being safe at all times. (laughs) So I I really did a deep dive into all of the horrible things that can happen. It's definitely worth making sure they're safe. Yes. And it was so interesting. You went to this thing called Woofstock and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different events, uh, the dog beauty pageant, the lure courses. And I never heard of that. What is a lure course? And by the way, it was so funny. The dog beauty pageant kept being like, this just about looks, this just about looks. (laughs) (laughs) Did not win, even though he was the most beautiful dog 
I know that's crazy. He's so he's gorgeous. <laughs> the lore course, right? He, oh, I felt so bad for him. The dogs chase basically like a little toy through a course. They jump over a log or whatever. They make a sharp turn. They basically follow this lore through the right. course. All of the dogs, we were waiting in line for it. Every dog loved it, ran through it. We're so happy. Everybody would clap. <laughs> so we waited for our turn. We got there. You s- sit your dog down and they, you know, wait for the instruction to go. And so it was his turn. We're waiting. And then it's, then they say, okay, go. And he just sits there. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh, come on, let's go. Run, run, run. No was not having it at all. They they were like, maybe you want to try to run with him. So then I tried to run with him. Um, and then it was only me doing the lure course. <laughs> like <it> was, <laughs> How'd you do? <laughs> I, I did a great job. I was very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> but yeah, then eventually, I mean, it's, you know, it was not yeah. his thing. So we took a bow, left the lure course. Everybody gave us a round of applause anyway. <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean... The the whole thing is to find out more about who he is, what he likes, what he doesn't like. He absolutely does not like that. So yeah. <laughs> it's a learning experience. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny in chapter four, should my dog play a sport? Uh, I, I've talked about this on my other, my health show, Health Power. I was the most uncoordinated kid ever. I not only got picked last for sports, but they fought over who would get stuck with me, which was really bad for my self-esteem. So <laughs> yeah. it was interesting when you were looking at dog agility, you realize it's not just dog agility, it's your agility too. Oh, yeah. And that whole idea of like, he could do it, but I'm tripping over my feet. That would have been me. Talk to us about this experience. Right. The thing they tell you is basically the dog's that do agility, I mean, they can do all of this naturally and they're just following your lead. So if you lead them astray because you can't coordinate your hand movement and your foot movement the right way, they're not going to be able to do it. But it's only your fault. <laughs> um, and I am not coordinated at all. I've tried to be. I, I talk a little bit in the book about how I tried to take adult ballet to yeah. help my coordination did not help. <laughs> so <laughs> Peter was great at it. I maybe improved a tiny bit, but um, I think he would be much more successful with a more coordinated human leading him through the course. He loved it though. That one he he was crazy about. Oh, that's fun. Now in chapter five, should I buy my dog a bunch of stuff he doesn't need? You were talking about dog sizes and you write, once a company asked for the circumference of Peter's neck and I looked up how to measure circumference and the answer was pi times the diameter of the circle. And I'm sorry, but no, I'm not doing that. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm bad at math and I'm bad at at, at sports. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. I totally relate to this young woman. (laughs) Yeah, that I'm never, uh, I'm never going to be able to find out what his accurate size is, if that's what I'm going to have to do. (laughs) So it's kind of a guessing game. We'll say he's a medium. Well, tell us about this sweater, because it was pretty funny. And it was for Halloween. I I thought it would be cute to get him a dog sized version of the sweater that the boy wears in The Shining with Mm -hmm. like the Apollo rocket. It's, you know, iconic. It's it's a little bit funny because it's from The Shining and, you know, um, <laughs> and I found a woman on Etsy who could make that for a dog. So, of course, I bought it for him. It was way too expensive, but <laughs> that was not going to stop me. So I got it. I thought it would be good for Halloween. 
Um, it's just like a little sweater. People put all these kind of costumes on their dogs at Halloween and the dogs hate them. And I, yep. I can't really, I, I don't agree with that, but I thought this was kind of a nice compromise because we were going to be handing out candy and it would be kind of cute. Anyway, a lot of buildup, a lot of excitement in me waiting for this sweater to arrive. <laughs> this like hand knit <laughs> shining recreation sweater. <laughs> I thought he could wear it forever. It was going to be so great. Anyway, I put it on him, hated it immediately, immediately was like, get this off of me immediately. <laughs> and I thought maybe he would acc acclimate to it. We took him on a walk, could tell he hated it the whole time. <laughs> and when we got back in from the walk, he disappeared. I noticed he was under the covers of my bed and it was, there was like a lot of movement happening. <laughs> um <laughs> And it was like, okay, he's clearly solving a, a problem under there. He popped <laughs> out of the covers, completely nude, no sweater, had somehow figured out how to take it off himself while hidden under the covers. And, you know, that was the last of it. I'm not going to torture him just because I spent way too much money on a The Shining themed sweater. <laughs> Did you ever read the Harry the Dirty Dogs books? Mm -mm, no. Oh, my gosh. So when I was a kid... This is now because you're much younger, but I was a kid in the 70s and they have these great books. They're still around, Harry the Dirty Dog. One of them is a dog. is He's a white dog with black spots and he goes out one day and he's walking all over town. He gets so dirty, he comes back a black dog with white spots and the kids don't <laughs> recognize him. And then the mom's like, bring that dog in, give him a bath. Oh, it's Harry. It's great. But there's another Harry where he gets a Christmas sweater from the grandma. And he can't stand it. And he keeps trying to find places to leave it. And everyone's like, oh, oh. here's your sweater, Harry. Here's your sweater, Harry. And then finally, uh, there's a bird and there's a loose thread. And Harry, the bird takes Harry's sweater up and, and it, it all unravels and he makes a nest out of it. And the grandma comes to visit and everyone's like, where's your sweater? And he takes him to the tree and they look up and the birds are sitting in it. And then at the end, he ends up with another sweater and he's like, Ugh. <laughs> so great. So now that I gave away the whole books, go read Harry the Dirty Dog. No, but it's it's really fun. But I was totally thinking of Harry. Yeah, he's a cute little terrier too. I mean, I know your dog is a lot of other things too. Um, the other thing that cracked me up in this chapter was Cody time. You write, quote, when it's Cody time, oh, meaning yeah. having to wear a coat, he sits by the door, ears plastered against his skull, seemingly attempting to make himself invisible. If only he could disappear, then perhaps he wouldn't have to wear that little coat. Blue <laughs> does that too. To this day, even though like in the winter, yeah, it gets freezing cold. We have to put the coat on you so you're not shivering while you're outside <laughs> or so you don't get snow on you or rain or, you know. But yeah, he has not even budged an inch on how much he hates getting his little coat. I mean, but it's really only the sec like the few seconds it takes to put it on. After that, he kind of like shakes it off and he's like, okay, let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> I got over my fear of this adorable little coat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for those seconds, it's it's absolute torture for him. You know, one of the things I love about the book, not only is all the humor and the wonderful stories, but you share some great statistics. You talk to some different expert, experts, excuse me, which we'll get into. And you write in the book that, uh, quote, according to a survey from the American Pro Pet Products Association, humans in the U.S. spend an estimated $75 billion on their pets in the year 2019. And you write that $480 million of that $72 billion is spent on Halloween costumes, which you mentioned earlier is a drag because they don't like mm -hmm. them. You know, you I put know. anything on a dog's head, they're immediately pawing it off. I know. It's so sad. 
right? And you also list all these great things that you gave. The thing that cracked me up the most was the phallic looking item that was supposed to help clean his teeth. Quote, this penis item is a lie. I'm not sure how it could clean teeth the way it claims to. It's like a big green, well, penis, like I said, with little rubber hairs on its shaft. Where did you even get that? <laughs> um, I think like Chewy or something, you can still buy it. It's a ton of toothpaste you're supposed to use with it. But yeah, I just have no idea how it's supposed to work at all. And it's very upsetting to 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 see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of many toothbrushing toys that um, ultimately did not work. Now we just have to brush his teeth with the actual toothbrush, which he hates. <laughs> now, chapter six, should I spy on my dog? So you got this device where you can watch your dogs, but you were getting a little too intense about it. And here again, you asked a researcher, uh, you spoke with a woman named Carla Fox. She's a staff doctor in New York City's Animal Medical Center. And she did say there was some practical reasons for spying, but then you can also go overboard. Tell us a little bit about your experience and how it kind of could get out of hand. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, I'm super neurotic. <laughs> hey, leaving him at home. But obviously, as a person in the world, you sometimes have to leave your dog at home. So I bought a pet camera. They have the kind that you can like shoot treats out of. It's not that kind. It's just like a regular camera um, that you can check in on your phone. And basically, I was getting to the point where I would like go out to dinner with my friend and prop it up so I can see it at all times, you know, as if it were like a baby monitor, right. like as if... As if you it were something that I actually had to do, checking it constantly, just making sure, zooming in, making sure I could see he was breathing, you know, just being a little over the top. So I was, yeah, I was curious if there was a real reason to be that invested in what your dog is doing while you're at home. And obviously, if there are behavioral issues, he's fine. He doesn't have any real medical issues that I need to monitor. But if there are, you know, the vets told me it's actually good. If you have one of the cameras that kind of records small bits, if you catch something, catch your dog doing something that you want to ask the vet about, that could be very handy. Those are very actually helpful things to bring in to show them. But otherwise, I think it's basically um, not something I really need to be doing. I I've tried to wean myself off of it a, a little bit. I'm a little bit better now. Oh, that's good. Well, it was really funny because you're talking about, you know, you're out with your friends and you show them, you're like, is he breathing? Is he breathing? They're like, yeah. And you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't think you see it. And you're like, zoom in closer to, <laughs> to make sure. <laughs> oh, well, well, a little bit insufferable, but you know, we do what we, what we have to. <laughs> dog people get it. Now I love chapter seven. Should I sleep with my dog? So I don't even sleep with my husband. Okay. I mean, I sleep with my husband, but I don't sleep with my husband. I don't like anyone touching me when I sleep. I just sleep better and I snore and I move around a lot. So we decided we'll sleep separate. So over the last, I'd say three months, somehow Blue has decided that at between 4.30 and 5 in the morning, he jumps on the bed and he doesn't like jump on the bed and curl up by my feet. He literally puts his head on my pillow and he's 85 pounds oh. and he smashes me. It's like a bunch of bricks just landed on me. Oh. And at first I was annoyed because I'm like, great, and I'm going to lay here. And, and then all of a sudden I thought, okay, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm just going to cuddle him. So what? I lose a little sleep. Mm -hmm. But now within like five minutes, I'm right back to sleep. And I get sad on days like once in a while he won't do it. And I'm like, Blue, I, I kind of look forward <laughs> to that. But I'm still not ready to sleep with the full person yet. 
or to sleep yeah. with them all night because he also farts a lot and snores really loud. Okay. So when you have a littler dog, I would think it'd be easy. But I love how you write about how he ended up sleeping in your bed. So it happened pretty quick. Talk to us about this. Yeah, there was this was another. Um, so I was fostering him and the foster um, the the rescue one of their rules was that you're you're not supposed to allow them to sleep in bed with you or go on your furniture in case they're eventually adopted by someone who does not want to let them do that. Um, so, okay, fine. I, <laughs> um, for the first night I, I let him sleep in his crate. It was fine. I, you know, looked at him all night, just in there snoozing. <laughs> um, the next night I was in my bed working and he like popped up like yeah. a little seal with oh. his little two paws on the bed and was clearly like, mm, come on, uh, can, can I just kind of check out what's up there? <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be able to resist this. Yes, come. And then from then on, we have not not slept in the same bed for even a single night unless I'm, you know, away. But oh, I think that's so sweet. You know, the first dog we ever had, Bailey, I was 33 because, uh, again, everyone who's listening to the show knows my mom is afraid of dogs, blah, blah, blah. My husband and I were sleeping in the same bed at the time, and we didn't have a kid yet. And Bailey was a Border Terrier pit bull mix. So picture the dog from Something About Mary, but bigger. So cute. And he would tip tap, and he would tip tap in our room, and he'd try to jump. No, no, Bailey, go back to bed, go back to bed. Go back. He was so, because those terriers, especially a pure terrier like that, they're so tenacious. Mm-hmm. And when they want something... Every night he would make so much noise, tip tapping, tip tapping, tip to outside the door, outside the door, until we finally were like, "Fine." <laughs> and I forgot until just now. I guess I did sleep with a human and a dog. Wow, I, I was young yeah. then. Yeah, um, my, I, my I I have a fiance. We live together. Nice. Obviously, he has a dog, a uh, shepherd mix um, named Frank, oh, yeah. and we all. All four of us sleep in the same bed. We decided we used to have a queen size bed, but it was just kind of um, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. So we got a king size recently. It's been a good upgrade, but yeah, it's a lot. I wouldn't change the sleeping arrangement at all, even though Peter does snore sometimes. Frank is enormous. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I love it. Well, your humor is throughout the book. And in this chapter, I think this made me laugh the most. You write about people who can get a little squeamish about dogs co-sleeping with humans. And I love number two, you write, quote, they think you're spoiling the dog. In my opinion, eat shit. Oh, excuse me. That was a little heated. I'll start again. In my opinion, eat shit. Oh, oh, gosh. Okay. My apologies. In my opinion. Oh, no. Eat. Oh, geez. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is hysterical. And then the other thing you said, too, that is so funny. They think it's gross. Well, yeah, it is gross. Basically, in order to enjoy sleeping with your dog friend, you have to pretend it isn't disgusting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes, you really do. Like, oh, I'm not. I'm just not going to even think about what these stains could possibly be. <laughs> <laughs> the worst is when blue, because he's always itchy, because pitties have a lot of skin issues. And I am treating it, but it's it's yeah. a pain. I'm trying to do it holistically. It's a lot slower, but I'm going to stick with it. When I leave the room and he'll lick on my bed and then the sheets, oh, and yeah. it's like, ah, blue, mm-hmm. please don't drink. Yeah, it's really gross. It's gross. Does your family include a dog or a cat? Would you like to be better educated on how to advocate for their health naturally? Then why not check out all of the amazing resources on naturallyhealthypets.com? Dr. Judy Morgan is a trusted advisor and a regular guest. 
here on the Dog-Eared Podcast. She has over 38 years experience as an integrative veterinarian, acupuncturist, chiropractor, food therapist, author, speaker, podcast host, and owner of Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. Dr. Judy's goal is to change the lives of pets by educating and empowering pet parents just like you in the use of natural healing therapies and minimizing the use of chemicals, vaccinations, and poor quality processed food. Head on over to naturallyhealthypets.com where you'll discover healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, the Naturally Healthy Pets podcast, informative blogs, upcoming events, and so much more. Again, that's naturallyhealthypets.com, the place to learn how to give your pet the vibrant life that they deserve. Now, having a health show, if people listen to Health Power, it's on the same platform. I am obsessed with sleep. It's practically, other than my dogs, it's practically my religion. I don't like interrupted sleep. Although, like I said, with this thing with blue, it's just, it's a little bit different. And I love that you actually did some research and I was pretty surprised. Tell us a little bit about what you found out. Yeah, I was kind of surprised too. And I was also surprised that there have been like really a couple different studies into the effect of co-sleeping with an animal or, you know, a dog primarily. But what is basically found is that unless there are like big issues like snoring or things that you are sort of insurmountable, it doesn't really have that much of an effect on overall sleep quality. The quality diminished a little bit right? when when you were sleeping versus when you're sleeping alone. But sleeping with a dog is easier than sleeping with even another person was kind of the big finding that sleeping with a dog or cat promoted healthier sleep than sleeping, co-sleeping with a human. <laughs> All right, moving on, chapter eight. So I'm going through every chapter. It's so good. Does my dog like music? <laughs> now, I sing a little song to Blue, which I'm not going to sing now because then he will want to play the <laughs> game that we play. Uh, it's called I'm Going to Get Blue. He'll grab an old tennis shoe that I gave him to chew up and I'll chase him all around the house. And he would be good at agility. He, oh my God, he spins around and does this and dodges here. Mm-hmm. I can't keep up with him. And whenever I sing that song, he loves it. I used to sing songs to Bailey, my pit mix I mentioned, mentioned earlier about going to the woods. And your songs were great. And there was so much fun. Tell us about what you discovered about dog music, especially the reggae. That was fascinating. So there are also, you know, a lot of studies into the effect of music on dogs. And I can attest to this with Peter, too, because he he totally is affected by music. But they are really affected by soothing music. Shelters will play lullabies to calm dogs down. And there are incredible videos online of the shelter before and after they are playing this soothing music. But yeah, one of the studies found that of all the different genres of music, reggae seemed to soothe dogs the most in that study. (laughs) So I I played a lot of reggae for Peter. He likes reggae too. I'm not sure it was his favorite, but whenever we leave the dogs alone, we put on their dog lullabies for them. And it does seem to suit them. The one warning that I also got from one of the researchers, if you have sort of an anxious dog, which my dogs are not, I'm the only anxious one, but (laughs) if you have sort of an anxious dog who doesn't like when you leave to switch up the music you play, because 
you know, if you play the same thing every time, they're going to get cued. Like, okay, this is the song that means they're leaving. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And you wrote a great song. And again, people have to get the book, again, the particulars of Peter in order to see the song because it's wonderful. Now, (laughs) chapter nine, can I teach my dog to talk? Uh, You were saying that in order to get your dog to talk, they have to bark. And you have to somehow say speak before the bark happens, which seems complicated. But you said Peter doesn't bark for the most part. For the most part, that has actually changed since writing. (laughs) At the time, (laughs) um, we lived alone since moving in with my fiance and his dog who barks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Peter is has been encouraged to find his own voice, not like on his own. Still, he's pretty quiet um, when it's just him. If there's like a delivery person outside, Frank will start alerting us to (laughs) to the danger of the delivery person (laughs) and Peter will join in. So he's actually become a lot more vocal with that encouragement. But yeah, otherwise he's, he's super quiet. And when I, for the first couple of years of our life together, he really very barely barked at all. Oh, wow. He would do maybe one bark if he saw a squirrel outside and he was super frustrated. He would let out a single bark. But (laughs) yeah, he was super quiet and still pretty quiet, but but I'm happy. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Now in chapter 10, can I communicate with my dog via a pet psychic? This is really interesting because I just interviewed a couple weeks ago, uh, a woman named Maria Reach, and she wrote a book about uh, her wonderful, sweet, deaf pit bull. Celeste, who had a lot of health issues. And so she hired an animal communicator. I'm agnostic on this. So I'm just going to put that out there. But I thought it was really lovely, you know, and it, and it gave her a sense of comfort. And I think that's what's important. And you worked with one who was kind of off in terms of what he was trying to get at. Tell us about this. Right. So yeah, I, I'm a bit agnostic, too. I, I do believe that some people are just more naturally intuitive and maybe are are able to connect on a deeper level than other people. And I totally believe that a lot of people get comfort out of this sort of thing. I had two different psychic readings, both of which were done over the phone for the chapter. The first one was pretty rough. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) Just thinking that. (laughs) He was really trying to get me to trying to get me to connect with a dog that just did not dis- he was kind of trying to describe the dog in different ways and none of the ways were Peter. Right. And he was just really kept pressing it. Maybe this is a dog you know otherwise or a dog that you saw at the dog park or a dog from a TV show that you like. Like why would I want to communicate with a dog from a TV show? Like really trying to grasp me connecting right. his whatever he was describing with a dog. And we eventually landed on that it was a a family dog of mine who died, which was very emotional, even though the whole time I was like, this is bullshit. I hate this guy. (laughs) Like he's manipulating my emotions. Yeah. (laughs) Because he couldn't guess what Peter looked like, basically. So that one was difficult. But still, I was like sobbing, obviously, because I was like, I didn't get that it was my dog who was trying to communicate with me. Give me a break. I don't know what that guy was thinking. But tell us about the next one. Right. The other psychic I spoke with was absolutely lovely. I'm a writer. I'm skeptical. I'm not sure if she looked into who I was, but she immediately was like, so do you make art about your dog? Are you curious about what he thinks about the fact that you are putting him out into the world, basically? And I was like, what? She had to look you up. 
thinking? <laughs> there was like a jackhammer outside and she was like, well, right now your dog is very unhappy with the noise happening outside. And we were like far into the house. I don't think she was able to hear it over the phone. <laughs> but anyway, the main thing I got out of that one was she described seeing Peter and I sitting next to each other and like the scenery kept changing. <laughs> I'm going to cry again. It was like, it was so beautiful. She was like, the world is changing, but you guys are just always together in this like little circle of light. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh God, so that's, beautiful. that's so nice. <laughs> so that was nice. Even if it wasn't real, it was at least a, a nice experience. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think too. It's beautiful. Now, you did so many cool things in the book. Chapter 11, and you asked so many great questions. Can dogs hunt ghosts? And again, I just have to bring in your humor. I love this. So I'm going to paraphrase. You said something effective. I'm so sorry for your loss. Well, anyway, my dog and I would really appreciate it if we could try and hunt your wife's ghost while she's fresh. So you went into the <laughs> ghost hunting and you said there's quite a bit of expensive equipment and you did end up buying some things. Tell us about this ghost hunting experience. You know, again, I'm, I'm skeptical of everything, but I'm for some reason super interested in the idea of ghosts. I've written like ghost hunting columns oh, before wow. at Gawker. I, I did one where I went to supposedly notoriously haunted places in New York City and, and you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to see if I could find a ghost. I could never find a ghost. But um, I feel like this is known information, but maybe it's just because I'm kind of a weirdo. But there is the idea that dogs are so naturally sensitive to the world around them that, and of course they are, that they can sniff out <laughs> when there are ghosts nearby and people will say you know they see their dogs barking at nothing and you know blah 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 things that can be explained other ways but you know maybe your dog is seeing a ghost so i was interested i think peter is very perceptive i think he's a very sensitive young man maybe he would be one of the dogs who could sniff out a ghost so we went to a graveyard in the city like you said, all of this insanely expensive ghost hunting equipment available to purchase. I got some of the less expensive things that these little meters you can wear, like you put on your belt and they like beep when there's a ghost nearby, <laughs> <laughs> you know, allegedly. Right. And there's like apps that will, uh, you know, tell you what the ghost is trying to tell you in words printed out on your screen. You know, all these little things that will, uh, you know. Right. That probably are nothing. <laughs> so we got all that stuff. We went to the graveyard. We walked around. The ghost that supposedly haunted the graveyard was a dog because I thought that would be less scary for Peter if he encountered a dog ghost rather than a human ghost. So, <laughs> so yeah, we sp kind of spent some time there walking around, seeing if our little meter would beep. It never did. <laughs> seeing what the app was telling us the ghosts were trying to say. Nothing really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think we found a ghost, but we got to spend some time with each other in a graveyard, which is, of course, priceless. <laughs> so much of this is is all the time you get to spend with Peter, which is fabulous. Yeah. This I love, too, in this chapter. You talk about Pete, that beautiful Brittany Spaniel from Sex in the City. And oh, you yes. write, yeah, and, right. quote, and if his spirit is still with us, he is on that stoop forever waiting for Carrie to come back so he can tell her to eat shit. <laughs> 
Chapter 12, can I accept that my dog will never be a dancer? So you got into the world of canine freestyle. He knew how to spin. And again, this was kind of got in your way a little bit, just like the uh, agility, right? A little bit because you, mm-hmm. have to, and again, I, I don't want to give too much away. So I'm gonna let people read about that. Although there was something big in that chapter. Peter did break his elbow, not doing canine freestyle, by the way. No. And it's so hard when your dog is hurt. Blue had to have both his back knees done. And, you know, you're just worried and is everything going to turn out okay? And thank God his vet's like, he, it's like picture perfect. You want a perfect example of how the surgery comes out. This is it. But yeah, you go through a lot of emotions. Talk to us a little bit about that. I know it was, it was so hard. The chapter starts out. I had this dream of us doing canine freestyle together, which is when a human and a dog perform like a little dance routine. Um, (laughs) The videos are Again, like everything, they make me cry. <laughs> it's like, it's silly, but it's really so, so sweet. Anyway, so I had that dream and it went to shit because Peter, I guess he had a stress fracture that I didn't know about that eventually just gave out and he broke his elbow while he was running in the park and had to immediately, or not immediately, it was the next day he had to go into surgery. And it was truly one of, if not the worst day of my life, just having so much fear that something terrible would happen. You know, you have to sign all of these scary forms, how they're going to save the dog's life, what happens if anesthesia, blah, blah, blah. So it was absolutely terrifying. And then the recovery process, luckily, you know, the surgery went well. I was nervously calling the vet all throughout the day of the surgery. And they would say like, okay, it's still happening. Like, (laughs) you just have to wait for us to call you. (laughs) We're not going to not call you when it's done. I promise we will. So yeah, that was difficult. The recovery, I just felt so bad for him having to just carry him around everywhere because he couldn't really walk, having to carry him around outside, put him down, see if he could go to the bathroom. First, they they let his arm, they didn't put a cast around it because they wanted to let the surgical scars breathe, I guess. But then it wasn't healing. So they eventually had to put a cast around it too. And it was just so sad seeing him hobble around with this big cast arm. Oh my gosh, it was horrible. But yeah, he's since also made full recovery. We used to live in Brooklyn. We recently moved upstate to uh, stayed a little bit to Cold Spring, where mm. he gets a lot more time in the woods. Oh, nice. So he loves running around hopping over logs, you know, jumping over a little stream. <laughs> and I, I'm just so happy that he's okay. Um, and that he can still do all of these doggy things that he loves. Because yeah, that was terrifying when it was like he couldn't even go on a walk to sniff the sidewalk, which is his favorite thing. It's so hard when our dogs hurt. I know. Because you can't even do anything about it. You can't even explain it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, chapter 13, Will My Dog Go to Heaven? And you write the best line ever, quote, heaven makes sense more as a place for dogs than it does a place for humans. Humans are awful. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I stand by it. And then in chapter 14, I love this because one of the things about doing this show that's so great is that it reminds me of things that I haven't thought about about my first two dogs, Bailey and Bobo. You write about how Peter will beg for blueberries, even though he doesn't like them. And you write this so perfectly. Like if I try to explain what Bobo used to do with carrots, I wouldn't be able to do it. But you, you helped me. You wrote, in fact, dislikes them so much that he seems to not even understand how to eat them, letting them fall from his mouth to the floor as if he's suddenly forgotten how to masticate. I would give Bobo, he was a beautiful, sweet Irish setter German shepherd mix. I would give him a carrot and it would literally just fall out of his mouth. 
Like, <laughs> but he keeps begging, right? Even though they just go plop. Yes. Yeah. He never, <laughs> he doesn't really ever seem to connect the blueberry that is in his mouth to the blueberry that is like in the bowl that I'm eating from. it has got to be different. <laughs> Yeah, this, this has to be better. Otherwise, why would you continue to eat it? Because what you gave me obviously was terrible. Right. She's giving me the bad tasting ones. Come on, mom. What the hell? Like barely even not a food item, not recognizably a food item. Now, I love also in chapter 14, my dog, you write an obsession with time, how much already has been spent and how much is left is normal for those with close relationships to dogs in my experience. Oh, absolutely. It's terrible. I'm dreading that blue is going to be eight in June. I'm absolutely Mm -hmm. like, no, this is not acceptable. Time stands still. We'll age. He's just like, no, 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 no. Uh Uh-uh. So hard. Mm -hmm. I know. I, I wrote a piece for Gawker sort of more recently, I think in the last year and a half or so about if you could donate some of the years off of the end of your life to your dog, how many would you give them? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think I would give at least one. Oh, a lot. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. Like, can we just meet in the middle? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And I love too, in chapter 14, Peter is your primary source of happiness. And I, I feel that way about Blue. And of course, the appendix is hysterical. A taxonomy of acceptable nicknames. Peter, Pete. Pete man, Peter man, the number one Pete man, the Pete man. And then you've got all these other great things. The book is so phenomenal. Even though we talked about a lot of stuff, there's so much in here. Was there anything we didn't mention, Kelly, that you were hoping to touch on today? I think we kind of got it all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we covered it. All right. (laughs) Well, the book, The Particulars of Peter, Dance Lessons, DNA Tests, and Other Excuses to Hang Out with My Perfect Dog, Kelly Conaboy. I tell you, sitting on the couch, getting to cuddle blue and reading this, it was like a gift. It's like, I got the best job ever. I mean, this is so funny. And you're so incredibly talented. Never stop writing, please. Just, you are a gift. (laughs) All right. Well, tell us all the ways we can find you. I'm on Twitter. uh, Just my name, Kelly Conaboy. I also just have a personal website, kellyconaboy.com. Instagram, Kelly Conaboy. Basically, just my name. In all the normal places. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever write another book about dogs or Peter? Um, I would love to. Um, it it's I guess will depend on if anybody wants to publish it, but yeah, I I would absolutely love to. Yeah. Well, you you are very gifted and lovely. This has been so much fun. I just absolutely love your book. And everyone keep coming back to Dog Eared. You don't want to miss a thing. Also, check out Health Powers on the same platform. I've been doing that show for 10 years. Oh, I listened to the book, by the way. <laughs> Phenomenal. I know. She was so good. She emphasized every single word perfectly, the cadence, the I humor. I was so grateful for her because I, you know, I can write um, and I'm a writer because I'm not like <laughs> a good person in person, <laughs> like an entertaining person. So I was very nervous about like having to like speak in a funny way. So I was so grateful that she could just like nail it. She was great. I I love her. I thought she was phenomenal. All right, everybody, keep listening, rate, review, and subscribe. 